and welcome. It's Friday and another episode of The Nonprofit Show. I am thrilled to have with me today, Mr. Jack Alotto from Fundraising Academy at National University. This is our Ask and Answer episode. So every single week we dedicate these conversations to you and your questions. So you send them in, we ponder them, and we answer them. So Jack is here in the hot seat, Jack Alato, CFRE trainer at Fundraising Academy, and just so excited to have you here. I'm Jarrett Ransom, your nonprofit nerd, CEO of The Raven Group. And again, every uh, week we dedicate to these Friday Ask and Answer, thanks to our presenting sponsor of our Fridays, and they allow me to keep calling it Fridays, <laughs> Fundraising Academy. But we also want to give a huge shout out to our amazing presenting sponsors day in, day out that support the nonprofit show. Yesterday was 721. So that means today, Mr. Jack, 722 is our episode. So huge shout out to our besties over at Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy. Again, the whole team at Fundraising Academy at National University. Also to be, <laughs> to be generous, donate now, pay later. Your part-time controller, staffing boutique, nonprofit thought leader, and the nonprofit nerd. Please check out these companies. They're here to help you uh, elevate your mission in and around throughout your community. They literally are here on your team. So reach out to them. Because of them, we've able to been able to put up our archive episodes on Roku, YouTube, Fire TV, as well as Vimeo. And for those of you that are podcast listeners like Moa, you can listen to the nonprofit show wherever you stream your podcast. Um, in fact, we've had several downloads there. So we we see you downloading. We're so grateful that you find that platform to be um, of opportunity to you. So before we dive into these questions, Jack, I want to dive into you and a little bit about uh, your expertise, but also the CFRE, because I just think that's fantastic. So again, our viewers and our listeners, Jack Alato, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I think this is only the second time you and I have had a conversation. Really? I've been denied Jared time. <laughs> We'll we'll get more of that, but we did have the wonderful opportunity of meeting in person at the AFP Icon, and hopefully we'll do that again this year in New Orleans. Yeah, I can't wait to, I've never been to New Orleans, so I'm looking forward to it. We've got some Cajun to eat, my friend. Yeah, and jazz, my favorite musical genre. Jazz. Yeah, I love that. Well, tell us a little bit about your role at Fundraising Academy with National University, but specifically the CFRE, because you, my friend, are so very invested and involved in that credential. So I am invested and involved in all professional development, including what we're doing right here today. This is your opportunity to learn from your peers, etc. CFRE it's a great credential. I got it many years ago. I don't think the internet was around when I got it. And I have been fortunate to work with a variety of people over the years from all over the world. I have a person from Liberia in my study group, uh, gets up in the middle of the night to come to it. I've had people from Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, lots of Canadians. I love our Canadians. Um, and they come, my study group, which is third week tomorrow, has 127 participants. Yeah. And I love the questions they send me, et cetera. With yeah. the Fundraising Academy, I get to do it more often. 
uh, webinars, writing blogs, writing articles. It's just a wonderful thing. I love our cause selling model of fundraising. I think it's such a useful model. And I urge everyone to go to our website, go to our uh, mylearningportal.org and see all the things that we have up there. Here's the wonderful thing about the Fundraising Academy. If I give one more plug, all of our content is eligible for continuing education credits as you seek your CFRE. And then after you get your CFRE, still have to have those continuing education credits. Yeah. We're the place to get them free. Fantastic. I absolutely love that. And what a great opportunity for us to share this time together, Jack, and to dive into these, these questions. Um, Fundraising Academy, as, as you mentioned, has just an wealth of information for us. And you're right, this is one of those opportunities for professional learning. So let's go to Miami, Florida. Let's uh, let's pretend that we just landed, right? We're going to meet Pippa and <laughs> the sun hopefully is out. But Pippa writes in, Jack, and she has, I'm assuming she has this question here. Who monitors diversity, equity, and inclusion at nonprofits? We are working on these issues, but are still short of our goals. And we don't seem to have a champion who is monitoring this to keep us on track? Great question. Take it away. A great question. Man. And you know what? I love this person because he or she, and I think it's a she as well. Are they? She's, are they? They're looking for an accountability. They want to operationalize their DEI. And so few organizations do that. Now, what do nonprofits typically do? And maybe you have some experience with this as well, Jerry, but maybe there's a committee of the board. Maybe there is a DEI officer whose specific responsibility is to see that that uh, philosophy of diversity, equity, and inclusion is operationalized, mm -hmm. that they're really doing it. They're not just saying they're doing it. They're absolutely doing it. So I love the question. It could be a committee of the board. It could be a person that you hire. It could be a person who has uh, other duties, but you're going to give them some amount of time to fulfill and monitor that DEI program that you have. Love the question. Yeah, I love the question too. And that's such a great answer that you provide. You know, I, I didn't think of it in terms of op making it an operational kind of uh, responsibility or task, but I love that you took it that way. And for Pippa, you know, I, I'm going to champion the fact that I really, I love the accountability that Jack brought in here. And I really do think that we should all have a responsibility yeah. for championing this cause, not the cause, but championing diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, at our nonprofits, I recommend, you know, I've been in so many meetings, Jack, and there's like a safety moment. So why not have a diversity, equity, and inclusion moment that in every single meeting and every single committee or board meeting or staff training, right? There is a DEIJ opportunity built into absolutely everything you do. Um, I do think that, you know, having a committee of staff would would be probably more advantageous than maybe just one person, because yeah. it's much easier to do things and to accomplish things, I think, together in community. Uh, but Pippa, fantastic question. You know, you know, something else, Jared, that has occurred to me, 
you know, I worked in healthcare philanthropy and we, every hospital I worked in all had a DEI uh, program or, or, or a mission. And I asked myself, when we look at the occurrence of death, mortality as a result of COVID, we see that uh, there are huge numbers for African-American communities and Latinx people. Why has that occurred? And here's the reason why I think, and I could be wrong, guys. I think that all these hospitals have DEI, but they don't operationalize it. They haven't really looked at what they're doing with these marginalized communities should not be happening if you really follow that DEI um, precept that you have in your bylaws, et cetera. Yeah, you're right. And I think you hit the nail on the head, honestly, Jack, when it comes to, you know, creating an operation for this. So that's uh, strong advice. Pippa, I hope that it's helpful. Would love to hear back from you on how this moves the needle forward for your organization and stick to that accountability. So Okay, we're moving on up to Illinois. Uh, Frankie wants to know, is it normal for fundraisers to do surveys of their donors? We are afraid that the donors will think it's another ask. We just want to know what our donors are thinking without intruding. Any ideas on how else we can find this out? Good the first thing, yeah, it's a great question. The first thing I would say in the communication is to say right in the first sentence, this is not a request for a gift. Mm. And I think they're going to read that. They'll read it. I think, you know, we talk about in cost selling about building relationships. CFRE is a relationship building model. There are hundreds of them out there. If you want to build relationships with your donors, ask them questions. It's really important because when you ask those questions and we say in cost selling, open-ended questions, you are going to, build a relationship. You're going to learn about them. So yes, ask them questions. Here's the other thing we, you and I talked about earlier, Jerry, you want to, you want to find out why donors are lapsing, ask them, call them up and say, this is not a request for a gift. I'm just wondering why you've stopped giving. Is it our program? Has something changed in your life? How could we do a better job of keeping you as a donor. Such an important point. Jack, do you see that? Some people maybe see that as confrontational. Well, I I don't think it's confrontational. I think it's a good stewardship technique. I mean, if you you call them up, if you call them up and say, now, Jared, why did you stop giving to us? What's wrong with you? That's confrontational. But I think if you, if you say to them, here's what I like to say about lapsers, remind them of why they gave in the beginning. Jarrett, you gave to our homeless program because you are concerned about the of homeless people in Carol in city. Here's what your gift did to us, did for us, did as far as impact in the community. And we're wondering why you uh, did not make a gift this year. Very easy. If they say, I'm not interested in talking about this, then that's the end of it. But many people will tell you why they have stopped giving. And it may not have anything to do with your impact or your program. It may be, you know, their their daughters just got into medical school at Harvard. 
Right. You know, it could, it could be, be life, life in general. Yeah. I love that approach. Um, and I, I hope that more people are implementing that. Um, so thank you for addressing it. And I would say, you know, to add to what Jack has provided, the surveys can be done on an ongoing basis. My belief, if you are working through this relationship process, and ironically, Jack, we had our friend Tony Bell on earlier this week for a two-part drill down oh. about relationships, or sorry, donor approaches. It was seven tips for donor approaches, but relationships came into that. So these open-ended questions essentially are an organic, natural way to engage and elicit responses from your donors in a survey. Now, I have been involved with an organization that does an annual donor survey, right? And and to your question, you had asked me when I shared this with you, Jack, it was, was it a qualitative or a quantitative survey? And my response was, yes. (laughs) It had a mixture of of both of those. Um, So I do think there's a lot of advantage, you know, to really ask your donors, Uh, Frankie, you know, what they are thinking of the programs, of the impact, even what is their response to how often they're being communicated with and in what platform. These are fantastic questions. And I think you should absolutely do them. But Jack, I think you mentioned in the very beginning, started off by saying, this is not an ask. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really important to put them at ease because so much of our communications with our donors are asked. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a really good idea to have every communication to be some request for support, monthly giving, whatever it is. So, you know, like I I mentioned to you that I attend the ballet. The next day I get a very simple email and don't make these surveys 500 questions. What I like that the ballet does, they'll say, this is a three minute survey. It will take you three minutes. And when they say that, it puts me at ease. And they ask very standard questions. Did you enjoy the ballet? Did you like the music? How are, how are you treated in the theater? Very simple questions on a scale of one to five, that kind of thing. Yeah. Easy to do. So Frankie, good luck with that survey. We hope it brings some good information to you. All right. Now we're moving on over to Texas and Houston. So our friend over there, Kim, wants to know, is it proper to ask another nonprofit to stop coming to our events? We think they are there just to meet some of our donors, and we would not do that to their organization at their events. What say you, Jack? I say that if you, I say no, it's not appropriate to ask them to stop coming to your events because here's here's why I think so. If you have a relationship building strategy with your donors you are not going to be fearful of other nonprofits talking to them because your relationship is going to be strong and they're probably not poaching them. Maybe they're just stewarding them by coming to your event. Here's the thing about people who give. I'm sure in your own giving, uh, Jared, you may give to a variety of nonprofits, not just one philanthropy is something that philanthropists give to a variety of different causes and it should not be threatening to us if they give to another nonprofit right shouldn't yeah. no i agree and you know as professional fundraisers it is our you know obligation to focus on the donor and what you know they are wanting to do with their money and i think it's a fantastic opportunity to even you know 
say, hey, I saw you at the ballet. Thank you so much for supporting the the arts in our community. This strengthens our community tenfold by working together. So I think there's so much to be said there. I'm sure Tony talked about this earlier in the weekend. Whoever hasn't seen it should go back and watch those. Okay. But one of the things that we do, one of the questions that we ask prospective donors and current donors, what other nonprofits do you give to and why? Why is it a good experience for you to give to that ballet, even though we're the opera, or for you to give to that hospital, even though we're a different hospital? What about that experience is positive? Because then we learn so much about how we should be treating them in our nonprofit. Yeah. Plus, I think there's a lot of crossover. I know in the uh, domestic violence space and in shelters, they're incorporating now, uh, you know, pet policies and and dog parks, because one of the reasons that many people do not leave a domestic violence you know, situation is because of their pets. And so now you're approaching the opportunity for the animal welfare individuals, right, that support animal welfare to also support the domestic violence and the support services around that and the continuum of care. So I just, I always see our globe as one big, you know, beautiful picture and we each hold a piece of the puzzle. And when we put it in, in the right place at the right time, we're able to provide this continuum of care and really make the world a much better place. But, you know, Jack, I am guilty because my mom noticed at a very young age, she said, Jarrett, you want to save the world, don't you? <laughs> I said, yes. I like I your know. mom. She's figured you out, hasn't she? I know. And I still do. I still want to help save the world. So, Kim, please, I would say, you know, really, I encourage you to become friends with these other nonprofits and the leaders that are coming to your events. Find ways to collaborate, find opportunities of uh, of conversation, because I think you could turn this into a win-win opportunity. Jared, I think that's beautiful. Beautifully put. <laughs> Cooperation among nonprofits. What about Yeah, Novel. <laughs> Novel. Yeah, Kim. So, uh, so enjoy. I, I think that's, that's a good, good opportunity here. Okay. Moving to Jamie, Dayton, Ohio, wants to know about uh, working from home. So since we have shifted to work from home, we are rethinking our employee vacation benefits. This means eliminating them. So they're going away altogether. Now our people can schedule their lives as they want so long as they get their work accomplished and meet their goals. What are other nonprofits doing? Well, I'm not sure about other nonprofits, but I do live close to Silicon Valley and they are following this precept. You know, you could take a day off to do volunteer work. You know, you could you have a you could schedule your vacations. I think the most important thing that this organization needs to do, Jared, is to develop a policy. Now, here's what you don't want to happen. If you're an organization that has a big end of the year fundraising campaign, you want all of your development staff saying, we're going to Christmas for Christmas and Hanukkah. We don't want to see that happen. So you have to have some policies around that. If it's a big giving Tuesday campaign or your annual gala, trust me, if this were a policy when I worked in healthcare, I would have taken the week off at the annual gala to go somewhere else. So you have to have some policies around it. I love it. I think it's especially true for millennials, Gen Z, Gen X. They want to be in control, especially as a result of this work from home 
COVID thing that we've seen. I don't think we're ever going to go back to full-time office thing. I think we're going to have some kind of hybrid thing. So yes, this kind of policy would really, and it's really employee centric, isn't it? To say, you know, if you have children who have a spring break and you want to go with them to Park City, Utah, then go for it. Yeah. I I have an Airbnb. You could say it as well. Shameless (laughs) shameless plug. Thanks, Jack, for setting me up for that. Um, I I agree. This was not planned, people. No, it wasn't wasn't planned. I agree. And and I have seen a lot of this, um, you know, conversation about unlimited PTO, uh, work from home opportunity. In fact, uh, my other friend, Jack uh, Muhi, and I have talked about work from home and how do we retain our staff to make our workplace a place of destination. And, um, you know, so I really do think it's this also dovetails into self-care and burnout. So, you know, I think a policy is absolutely critical. So I would echo uh, Jack's sentiments on creating a policy because there needs to be some kind of a boundary around those opportunities. Um, But I also think that, you know, adhering to, uh, you know, encouraging people to take their time off is really important because anytime, Jack, I don't know about you, but anytime I hear someone say, oh, this is my first vacation in three years. And they're like, you know, bragging about it, it hurts my heart because it means that they haven't taken the time that they need to set aside, to recharge, to refresh, because many of us in this space, we are working with very vulnerable populations and it takes a toll on our emotions on, you know, kind of our mental health and and even our physical health. So regardless of the policy that you create, I hope that it is definitely employee centric. Yeah. And it encourages them to take find that balance to take some time off. You know, I think the policy. Some I've worked for organizations. If you didn't use your uh, hospital organizations, if you didn't use your vacation time, they write you a check at the end of the year. Yeah. I would not do that. That means that that individual has not had that chance to refresh, rejuvenate, and absolutely spend time with their family. You know, it's just crazy. So I I don't like that policy. I prefer you to be employee centric and say, you know what, your mental health, your well-being, if your child is sick and you have to go to the school to pick them up. And I was in a meeting yesterday where a woman had to stop and go pick up her daughter at school. So I totally respect that. That should be your policy. You need to take care of family. Oh, Jack, I'm sure you just. You just went uh, on, on the scorecard for so many people at the top. Great, great responses for that. Jamie, we, we hope this helps. There is a lot shifting in our workspace and our culture and, uh, you know, how we provide benefits. So um, there's a there's a lot shifting. Right. And I think just staying in, in in the know of your employees, how can you best serve the employees while serving the mission? You know, because you say here, so long as they get their work accomplished and meet their goals. Yep. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, Jack, when you, um, you, you know, let's say you had some PTO time that it was accruing, what would you recommend to, you know, your staff around you, either in a supervisory position to the staff, you know, that reported to you, or as you reported, you know, to your uh, superiors, how would you, you know, go about this to say, hey, I really need to take some time off? 
Well, I, I, so first of all, I, I, I've had this situation where, you know, uh, something came up at, at a school for one of my nieces and nephews, not my own children, which I don't have any praise God. Um, but you know, where I had to go to school and talk to a teacher about something, or I was the second person that they call if they couldn't get the parents. And right. believe me, I would just go in and say, I have to leave. I have to go see what's going on with my nephew. So I would do that. I think it's important to take time off. I think downtime on the weekends. I love some of my coworkers at National University at the Fundraising Academy. They don't answer their emails on the weekend. I support that, guys. That's yeah. self-care. You know, yeah. they have families. They have things. Even in my CFRE study groups, when people say, hey, I've got to go to a soccer game on Saturday. My study groups are on Saturdays. You know what I say to them? Family first. Good. Yeah. Then CFRE. Good. Family first, guys. Oh, I love this. Well, Jamie, I hope that's helpful. And for all of our um, individuals that sent in questions today, Jack was a wealth of knowledge. Again, Jack Alato. CFRE trainer at Fundraising Academy. So very grateful to have you here. And uh, we do encourage you to look up Fundraising Academy and their amazing portal. Uh, the web address for that is fundraising-academy.org. And Jack, so much fun. We have to do this. Thank more. you. You know what? This is only my second time. My favorite you know, presenter, co-host with you is Julia Patrick. First of all, I love Julia and I miss her and please tell her that I miss yes. her, but invite me back to talk to you again as well. Hey, I would love that. We take our turns with our Fundraising Academy friends every Friday. And that was a lot of Fs in that sentence, but try <laughs> yay, ask and answer uh, today with Jack Alato. So very grateful to have the support of Fundraising Academy and each and every day. So very grateful to have the support from our amazing presenting sponsors. I really love doing work with these people. So huge shout out again to our friends over at Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, your part-time controller, Be Generous, Fundraising Academy at National University, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, as well as the Nonprofit Nerd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please do check out these companies. They are fantastic, uh, just as our guest was today. So another round of applause to you, my friend, Jack. Uh, thank you for being here. I, you know, I'm just going to tag on to what you said. It's the weekend. Take some time. Enjoy the weekend. Sleep in late if that's possible. Attend a family event if that's possible. Um, but we are so grateful to have each and every one of you here. Today was episode 722. So we're moving wow. right along. I know March is going to be year four I, for us. You know, it's really great. I was in high school when you guys started. <laughs> Oh, you're so, so much fun. Well, thank you for bringing the fun and the humor. It's so nice to be here with you and so nice to be here with all of you, our viewers and our listeners. And as we end every episode, we invite you, we ask you, we encourage you to please stay well so you can do well. Enjoy the ballet, Jack. I'll see you next thank time. Thank you.